Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast, a Bible study for those who struggle with digging into the Bible, but who want to develop a richer faith, one with some meat on its bones. I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots, in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, our study continues on the topic of perspective shift. We'll be focusing today on Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. Let's dig in. As we jump now into the book of Acts chapter 13, what we find is that there have been five individuals who have been noticed as being prophets and leaders in the book of Antioch. And as we discussed yesterday in our Sunday service, if you didn't get a chance that you should maybe go back and watch that, is that these five leaders are extremely diverse. But out of those five individuals at the church of Antioch, which also is a very diverse church, what we find is that two of them are selected to essentially go on a missionary journey. And that is to take the message of Jesus Christ to other synagogues and other Jews in the surrounding area to kind of let them know about this whole thing and and inform them and give them an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Those two individuals who were chosen are Saul and Barnabas. And, and these two guys could not have been, they could not have been more opposite from each other. Uh, and so, you know, think 180 degrees uh, difference between these two individuals. And, and this is who God sends. And so oftentimes, if you feel like uh, God has partnered you up either in ministry or in life with somebody who is very opposite from you and causes you a lot of headaches, um, a lot of consternation, there are a lot of difficulties. And um, that may well be that it's God who has put those two individuals together intentionally because of all of the good that comes whenever people who are different from each other learn and work together because they see things in different ways. And we see that oftentimes happening in scripture as well. So why don't we just go ahead and jump into verse four. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. And there in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and they preached the word of God there. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Now, this is interesting to me. I want to pause here because two people have been sent, Saul and Barnabas. But now we're seeing this third individual, John Mark, who is kind of random. Now, what we find out elsewhere in the book of Acts is that John Mark is related to Barnabas. I think, don't quote me on this, but I think he's maybe a nephew uh, of Barnabas. But they bring him along. Now, the interesting thing is, why did they bring him along? Well, we find out, I think, a little bit later, probably why they brought him along. And we find out because eventually this same John Mark ends up writing the Gospel of Mark. Why is the Gospel of Mark important? Well, the Gospel of Mark is important because the Gospel of Mark is something of an eyewitness account. John Mark even likely shows up in his own autobiography, in his own writing of the Gospel of Mark, 
at the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is arrested through Judas's kiss, uh, they begin to start planning to arrest other followers of Jesus. And we notice this man who uh, runs away and, and his tunic is is torn off him and runs away naked, uh, but it's unnamed. But most most scholars and most people would say that this is John Mark who has written himself into his own story. And so what we know about John Mark is likely John Mark was an eyewitness to that Holy Week, that Passion Week of Jesus, where he was in Jerusalem from the beginning of the triumphal entry all the way through the trial, through the arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion. John Mark is an eyewitness to that story. So John Mark probably is along with Saul and Barnabas on this missionary journey to take the good news to other places because he is an eyewitness to the things at which Saul in particular is going to be preaching and teaching about. I think this is powerful. Uh, John Mark would have been of use to Saul in this way because of his story. And I love that because your story is powerful as well. The ways in which you have seen God move are powerful as well. Now, now you may not necessarily think that um, your story and the ways in which you've seen God move match up to other people. You may, you know, your, your parents or your grandparents, pastors or, or teachers, other people in your sphere of growing up or, or adulthood who have experienced miraculous moves of God and, and their stories are are spellbinding as they tell of all these amazing things that, that God has done in their midst. And you may say, that's not, that's not me. Uh, maybe you have that story, but maybe you say, I don't have that story. Um, but I believe you have a story. I believe that if you have followed God for any length of time, then you have seen God move and seen God do things in you, in your life, and through you, and even around you. And those are important stories. And, and honestly, I, I would say that even if you even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, I still believe that God is making his presence and his power known around you and, and even through you. And so I, I would say that, that even if you've never darkened the doorsteps of a church or or open the Bible for any length of time or, or willingly or willfully done anything spiritual in your life, I still believe that you can take a look back on your journey and see the fingerprints of God through the story of your life. And what you have seen is really the most powerful God story there is. Is, is the Bible a powerful God story? Yes. It's your pastor or, or study leader's God's story powerful? Yeah, it is. But there's nothing more powerful than your story and what you have seen. So don't hide it. Don't hide it from other people. John Mark doesn't and becomes a part of this story here as their assistant. Verse 6, after, afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they finally reached Paphos where they meet a Jewish sorcerer. Now, the key word there is Jewish, not sorcerer. A uh, sorcerer is somebody who um, does magic, somebody who, uh, whether real or, or likely, just, just is able to do illusions. And this person is Jewish, which means there is uh, 
essentially the term Jewish isn't just a geographical designation, but it's also a, a religious designation in a way in which no other country really has. And so to say that he is Jewish means that he is also um, a practicing religious individual here in this area, which is a um, essentially a Roman province now. And so the fact that he's Jewish means that he's practicing a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him because he wanted to hear the word of God. Now, I want you to see what happens here, but Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. And so what we have here is we have uh, this sorcerer, Elimus, who is Jewish, who has influence and power with the governor of the island of Cyprus, which is where Barnabas was born and raised. And so the governor, who's an intelligent individual, invites Saul and Barnabas to come and give an audience. Uh, it didn't really necessarily need to tell that he was an intelligent individual, because he is clearly open-minded. Oftentimes people think that being open-minded makes you unintelligent. Um, the Bible doesn't really indicate that. The Bible doesn't really teach that certainty and closed-mindedness are marks of someone who is wise. Opposite of that it actually seems to indicate that those who are certain and close-minded, um, the biblical term is fools. And so this governor is said to be intelligent because of his open-mindedness and his willingness to consider and weigh other perspectives, which means he's also open to consider and weighing that his own perspective may be wrong. He has a religious person there who is his advisor. So he is indicating that even his own religious perspective may in fact be wrong. And he has open minded to that. And the Bible gives him credit for that. That right there speaks volumes about a biblical ethic system when it comes to religiosity and closed mindedness to things that might be outside of what we think are true and valid in our faith. You know, we determine what we believe and we close everything off and say, no, but it says right here, chapter and verse. But then there's Saul and Barnabas who's knocking on the door saying, yeah, but that person who taught you that, it may be an illusion. That, that thing that you believe so strongly from chapter and verse right here, it may not really be the way that it is. You could have been taught that by a truly religious person who is trying to control you, but it's all an illusion. The governor is open-minded, not for fear of being tricked by being open-minded, but for fear that he has already been tricked. I'm just, I'm just going to keep my mouth closed there because there is so much application today on that. that um, he was trying to keep the governor from believing. Opposition to the good news of Jesus for selfish reasons. It's far too common. And it's far too common in religious circles. Remember, 
this person who's opposing them, this sorcerer, this illusionist, is a religious person, is a spiritual person. It's inside Judaism the same way that Barnabas and Saul still consider themselves to be inside Judaism, but but a sect with new understanding of Judaism and understanding of Jesus as the Messiah. But at this point, they still consider themselves Jews. So this sorcerer, this illusionist, who has or wants to have power by controlling the mind of the governor, uh, is inside the same. They're brothers, faith-wise, these individuals are. And he still opposes the good news, but he doesn't oppose the good news of Jesus because he thinks that what he understands and teaches is better or more right than what Saul and Barnabas are teaching. No, he he opposes it for selfish reasons and for power. And this, this is what turns people off to God. This is what turns people off to the church. This is what makes people walk out of the four walls of faith and never walk back in because individuals for reasons of power far too often use the Bible to oppose the good news, to oppose the true news of Jesus Christ. And why they may say it's because chapter and verse right there, right there it is in black and white. They may say it's for that reason, or they may say it's for other reasons, but far too often it's duplicitous, and it's for selfish ambition and selfish reasons, for power, for money, for control, for prestige, and oftentimes religious people don't see through it, but irreligious people do, and it turns them off to God. So now we have this standoff between Saul and Barnabas and the sorcerer, Saul, also known as Paul. Now, we're going to hear him start being called Paul more. He probably had three names. Saul was one of them. Paul was one of them. Saul was Jewish. Saul was a great king, so he would have been named after that. And uh, in these days, they often took a Roman name that was also close and kind to their Jewish name. And so he starts using his Roman, his Gentile name more, Paul. So his name isn't changed at conversion. This is a name he has, but he starts using the Paul part of his name, like using his middle name or using his last name instead of his first name. So Saul, also known as Paul, these are the same individuals, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil. <laughs> How many times have I wanted to say this to someone? You son of the devil. I, I suppose it's biblical, right? So um, if you find yourself today calling someone the son of the devil, then uh, I suppose you could say that you are uh, being biblical with um, your name calling. But I, I also think that you should make sure that, like right here, it says that you're, you're doing it under the filling of the Holy Spirit, that it's not you, that it's God. Most of the time, you probably want to call someone son of the devil. It probably isn't necessarily of God, but you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good. That is quite a rebuke it's strong um but it's also true of a lot of individuals even if it goes unsaid and a lot of individuals in religious circles paul just um i was going to say paul just has the guts to say it but really just paul has the guts to allow god to say it through him fall the chips where they may 
Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind, and you will not see sunlight for some time. And I I read this, and I just... It felt harsh and vengeful to me. At first, this guy goes blind for the rest of his life because Paul doesn't like this message. Well, it's not Paul, it's God under the power of the Spirit, but doesn't that seem like an angry, vengeful God again? Well, then I noticed it says, for some time. So this is a a temporary thing. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and to lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished. He was astonished not at the physical rebuke resulting in blindness of the sorcerer, but he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Um, essentially what this did was it, it wasn't shock and all to try and meet the sorcerer eye to eye to say, well, you know, you... You can do this and make this illusion happen, but but look at this. We can make someone go blind. So it's not it's not about that. It is about essentially removing removing the errant voice from a place of power. It distracts them. So that the governor now has one voice, the sole voice of the Lord's teaching present. But I still think that we have to, before we go, wrestle with this fact from this place in this in this scenario that God's opinion of this illusionist and, and action concerning those whose actions affect the faith of others is swift and fierce. There are far too many people in the same religious circle like Saul and Barnabas and the sorcerer, where there are far too many people, even today, in the same religious circles, who are operators, who are operators for evil. I think I could say that because the scripture says it right here, that their own ambition to be powerful, to be heard, to be prestigious, to be somebody, to be known. So they take, they take the good news of God and they utilize that as a weapon to make themselves great. They may not be teaching things that are mistruth, but the reason, the motivation behind why they're doing it is evil, is evil ambition. And what ends up happening is they begin leveraging that message and those things for their own evil devices. And God... God does not silently abide folks who catch others in their grasp, causing them to miss belief and followership of Jesus Christ because their own selfish ambition is standing in the way. God's reaction is swift and fierce. If you, <laughs> if you think that you need to uh, right all the wrongs in the world, if you think you need to be Paul out there saying you son of the devil and uh, blinding people 
with your fury over the ways in which they have destroyed what God's plan is and stood in the way of other people. Um, you really don't need to because, again, Paul wasn't doing this. was under the power of the Spirit that Paul does this. This is God um, essentially doing this through Paul, yes, but it's God who is who is owning it here and in a swift and fierce. The key here, I think, for many of us is to make sure, you know, we, we all, we want to be the Saul and the Barnabas in the story. Uh, many of us were the governor in the story at one point. Maybe we are the governor. We're weighing with an open mind truth. But for many religious people, the question for us is, am I the sorcerer? Am I bar Jesus? I may think I'm Jesus, but am I bar Jesus? Am I some guy who is a cheap imitation who's a trickster, who's leading people astray for the wrong reasons. And if so, this is a wake-up call because God's retribution for those who stand in the way of other people coming to faith is swift and fierce. And I got to say, I've seen this far too often in churches where people think they have won, but other people's faith gets caught those who are in the margins, those who are on the fringes get turned off by the winning and how it's won and who wins and the reasoning of all of it. And oftentimes they throw their hands up and walk away from the church because they have no voice. They have no power or prestige. They, they're nothing more than a number, unfortunately, sometimes. And, um, I've been a long life and long life. I've been alive long enough in church ministry and seen enough to know that God deals with the individuals who are illusionists swiftly and fiercely. Don't be that person. And um, if you are, there's still time for the moment, but you may be living on borrowed time. This Bible study on Perspective Shift is brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to join us in the study, there's an easy-to-follow guide in the show notes. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation again. Our mission, that simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. When you get over to christtable.today, be sure to sign up for our email list there. And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box that I want to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us on our next episode as we continue our conversation on perspective shift. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well, www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young. And this is the Christ Table Podcast.